I'm Roy Lee Lindsay with the North Carolina Pork Council, and I want everyone to remember, bacon makes everything better. What, uh, I think Bill Parcells one time said, here's how you judge a coach. Whatever his record is, compare it with the guy before him and the guy after him. Here's what's amazing. Here at Duke, the guy before was Steve Sloan with 13 and 31. Larry Wilson with 13, 30 and a tie. Almost identical. Wow. And we went 20 and 12. Welcome to another episode of Bold North State here on the North Carolina Sports Network. I'm your host, Mike Waddell, and in this show, we're excited to be joined by the head ball coach, Steve Spurrier. During our half-hour chat, Spurrier shares intriguing insights on his illustrious career, which includes winning the 1966 Heisman Trophy at the University of Florida and the 1996 National Championship as head coach of the Gators. We'll also discuss his head coaching runs at Duke, South Carolina, and with three different leagues in pro football, and hear about his newest endeavor, his Gainesville, Florida destination restaurant, Spurrier also share his opinions on the many issues swirling through college football today. So let's dive into this captivating race down memory lane with the head ball coach, Steve Spurrier, on this edition of Bold North State on the North Carolina Sports Network. Going back to your childhood, of course, you're, you're, you're born in Miami, and then you are in Charlotte in your first year. Uh, your family moves as your father is uh, progressing through there. So you have a real North Carolina base, even though you were born in Florida. What are your earliest memories of growing up, and when did sports become a pathway that you felt like was going to be your life's calling? Well, yeah, first of all, my mom and dad are both from Charlotte. Uh, they both went to the old Charlotte Central High School. But my dad is six or seven years older than my mom, so they met uh, after high school. And... Uh, Anyway, so as a youngster growing up in East Tennessee, we'd go to Charlotte every Thanksgiving and every Christmas, vacation together. Uh, we'd usually pick up some of our cousins and go toward Myrtle Beach. Cherry Grove was usually the beach we went to, and we'd get a place about, oh, five blocks from the ocean. We couldn't get one of those oceanfront places. And if I was lucky, I got a sofa uh, in the living room. But a lot of times I had a floor and a pillow maybe because we'd crowd in 15 or 16 in a little two, three bedroom rental property and so forth. But anyway, uh, Charlotte was, uh, uh, that's where both my parents are from. I got an uncle, Bob Spurrier, that was one of the great tennis players back in the day and, and was actually the pro at Charlotte Country Club for quite a while. So my dad loved sports though. He, he, he never was all that great at tennis. It was, I guess, maybe his best sport. But he loved sports and encouraged me and my brother to play them all, which we did. So your dad was actually one of your youth baseball coaches. Oh, yeah. And as the, the story goes, they didn't know how the Reverend was going to be as a coach. But I think he instilled pretty early on in you that winning was important. It wasn't oh, just really? to show up. Yet you needed to win. That's why they kept score. Yeah, he was the head coach of our, uh, I think, Brave Birth League team, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids. And uh, before the season started, we were all in a little huddle out there, and he was giving us a little pep talk. And he said, how many of you young men believe that it's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game? Well, half the guys raised their hand, you know. The most all of them did. I knew not to. And he said, I don't believe in that saying. I believe 
every time you're keeping score, you got to try your best to win. That's what life's all about. Run the race to win, the Bible tells us. And uh, certainly I've, I've tried to follow that uh, in my entire coaching career, playing career. If, if you're keeping score, you're supposed to try your best to win. And that's a good transition mm -hmm. now to the coaches that made a difference in your life. So you start out with your dad. You know that winning is mm -hmm. important. A as you came up through at Science Hill and then mm -hmm. on to, to Florida and then throughout yeah. the pros, what were the, what yeah. were the coaches <laughs> that really made a difference in your life? Mike, all three of my coaches there, football, basketball, and baseball, were all a little bit different guys, really were. Our football coach, uh, Coach Tipton, was pretty stern. He didn't laugh much or anything like that. Conditioning was very important to him, and getting us motivated was very important. And uh, he, uh, he got the most out of the talent we had there. Our basketball coach, I, I was more like him, you know, yelled a little bit, come on, let's go, you know, a little bit more animated on the sideline, Coach Elvin Little. Uh, in fact, everybody said I coached a lot more like him than anybody else. But our baseball coach, Mr. Brawls, and we called him Mr. Brawls, he didn't want to be called coach. He was the history teacher there. And he was an older guy, and we'd roll the bats and balls out there and practice, and we'd do this, that, and the other. And, and we couldn't lose in baseball. We won two state championships. And uh, <clears throat> the other coaches used to always wonder, how is Mr. Broyles winning all these state championships? Because he was so different uh, than the other two. Uh, but so anyway, I just learned you got to do it your way as a coach. If yelling and screaming a little bit is your way, uh, then do that. If it's not, then try to do it that, that way also. So I, I love your initials, SOS, because I think when other teams and other coaches saw you coming, they were throwing up the SOS because you were always focused. And the, one of the most brilliant minds of anybody that I've ever been around with your just absolute encyclopedic recall of, of game events. Was that something that you had to work at, something that you had to, to really focus in on, or is it just a natural born given talent? Oh, I think, uh, I think it's more natural uh, things that occur during the game and so forth that uh, I remember a lot of people say, how can you remember that one? Uh, I was here at, at Duke last night, one of my former players from 81, 82, and we were talking about the Virginia game and I said, that was a huge game for all of us because we were 0-2, and our quarterback, Ron Sally, took us on two 80-yard drives, and we beat him 29-24. Uh, to 24. At first, he thought it was 31-26. Uh, to 26. I said, no, it was 29-24. I remember that because we went on and won, uh, had a winning season after that, and we, we got to coach again the next year and not get fired. So... Uh, Anyway, I, I can remember most all crucial games uh, in about 40 years of coaching, I guess. So when you come back to a campus, like today, we're at the Washington mm -hmm. Duke Inn, we're on the campus yeah. of Duke University, where you've been both an assistant coach and you've been the head coach. Mm -hmm. Do the memories just flood back when, when you're around your guys, your coaches, mm -hmm. your players, the atmosphere? Because the physical surroundings have really changed since uh, back in the day. Wallace Wade Stadium yeah. is a showplace right now, but what are those memories like when you come back to Duke? Those memories are very, very good, very, very uh, positive. Uh, we, we only played five home games when I was head coach here, and we had to play six on the road. Uh, back in those days, our athletic director wanted to go get a paycheck, and to keep football supportive, I guess. We didn't have much of a crowd usually, uh, but we won 12 of the 15 home games. So our guys could, they love playing here at Wallace Wade Stadium. But, uh, well, we're, uh, 
remembering uh, today is the Clemson game of 89. Uh, we were one and three, and we had sort of an emotional meeting before. We thought we had a pretty good team, but we had lost three on the road, and Clemson was coming to our place. And uh, some things happened. We got some huge breaks. We were down 14 nothing at half, came back, and we found a running back, Randy Cuthbert, ended up running for over 1,000 yards and only started six games. And uh, Clarkson Hines, our receiver, was player of the year, and our defensive team. Well, we, we didn't have a single player go play in the NFL, but they played their hearts out. And we had to go to nine-man front to stop the run, which we did, and had a couple of corners they could cover. So anyway, a huge upset over Clemson, and then we won the rest of the AC games, ACC games and won the uh, ACC championship, which is the only one in 60 years. So that's why I'm here. We're reminiscing that Clemson game, and we're hoping uh, the Blue Devils can beat Clemson tonight. We'd like to see a big season because Mike Elko is coming off an ACC Coach of the Year season in yeah. his rookie campaign. But you talk mm -hmm. about being the Duke head football coach mm -hmm. and where it was then, where it is right now. And I did this mm -hmm. digging up. You were the 1988-1989 ACC Coach of the Year. You're 3-0. and against the uh, brothers from over in Orange County, the North Carolina Tar Heels. You won the 1989 ACC title. But Duke has struggled to be consistently relevant in football. But overall, the big four here in North Carolina has really found football to be a bigger challenge than basketball. I think most people would assume that. North Carolina State, seven all-time ACC championships, but not one since Bo Ryan in 1979. Mm -hmm. North Carolina five, but not one since Dick Crum in 1980. 80. Wake Forest has two. In 2006, Jim Grobe yeah. got the, the Deacons over the top, but Duke has seven ACC championships, but not one since 1989. In mm -hmm. a place where Tobacco Road is mainly known for basketball, how difficult is it for the guys who are currently head coaches in football at these schools mm -hmm. to do that, to mm -hmm. establish football as being a, a relevant, <laughs> if not dominant sport. Yeah, it is difficult. It's difficult in the SEC also, when you start looking at all these schools that have never won one since uh, uh, the SEC uh, expanded to, and brought in South Carolina and Arkansas and, and Missouri and so forth. Uh, you know, Kentucky's never won one, South Carolina's never uh, you can go on down the list. Uh, schools never won. Seems like the schools that have the advantages, you know, uh, certainly have the advantages. And Clemson is a school with a lot of advantages. I think North Carolina's got some advantages, but they seem to hover around eight, nine wins and, and, and not quite been able to win at all. Uh, but what Mike Elko did here last year, winning nine games, was amazing. And the losses, they were competitive in, very competitive. Could have been, uh, been even a little better. So, uh, it, it uh, yeah, to me, it's more fun doing something that's never been done before or very hard to do than being at one of those schools that sort of is supposed to win every year. And right now, maybe for the first time in 2023, you can see the big four mm -hmm. football coaches and the football programs perhaps being ahead of where their basketball counterparts are. Dave Doran yeah. probably has Wolfpack football ahead of where Wolfpack basketball is under Kevin Keats. North Carolina, Matt Brown probably ahead of where Hubert Davis is. And you'd expect mm -hmm. that with a veteran coach as opposed to a third-year head coach. Mike Elko and John Shire here at Duke, that's a little bit closer. Right. And, and Dave Clawson, I think, definitely has the Wake Forest Demon Deacons ahead. Mm -hmm. But when you look at that, mm -hmm. 
there's some very different personalities in that group. And the one thing that I've enjoyed in getting to know Coach Elko is that he seems to be a very down-to-earth, he's a, dare I say it, he's a ball coach. Mm -hmm. He's not a corporate CEO because so many folks in coaching today are coaching CEOs. They, they don't, they want to oh, yeah. get out there and be a ball coach. And the one thing I remember most about you, and I get chill bumps even talking about this, is when we're with the Orlando Apollos, and that was th mm -hmm. the best nine months of my life. I mean, really, in 35 years, the, the most fun I've ever had. Mm -hmm. But going to Jones High School for that first event, and it was hectic. I mean, it was startup, everything was going off. Mm -hmm. But when you get off the bus, and it was almost like Moonlight Graham and uh, Field of Dreams when he crossed over the, the gravel on the outside of the baseball field and he walked out on the field, it was like you were reborn. You had this energy, this focus, and, and that's a lost thing mm -hmm. in today's mm -hmm. coaching world. But Mike Elko seems to have some of that. But with you, I, I've never seen a coach truly come alive and love coaching those guys like you did with Anderson and Garrett Gilbert and the, the guys on that mm -hmm. team. It was really something. It was a pleasure to, to witness that. Well, thank you, uh, Mike. I tell you what, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Uh, J.K. McKay and Tim Roscoe and those guys in management uh, gave me a chance to be the head coach there. and gave me a chance to go out a winner. Uh, my last year at South Carolina, the team sort of fell apart, and it was my fault. And uh, I said, it's time for me to get out of this situation. Uh, but that opportunity came up, and uh, I made up my mind that uh, that team was going to play well, and they will have a commitment, and we're going to be prepared every game the best we can. And uh, some of my friends said that that might be the best coaching job you've ever done. I said, really? He said, you're, yeah, your guys went seven and one. Uh, they were always prepared. We didn't blow any games. Uh, our field goal kicker, Elliot Fry, made 14 out of 14 field goals. And Garrett Gilbert, if they'd had player of the year, he, he definitely would have been it. So it was a, a wonderful team effort and event. The one game we lost was, you know, something happened that the ref said they made a mistake, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> we will take seven and one and be uh, crowned uh, the league champion. So if I never coach again, I tell everybody, I know I went out a winner with the Orlando Apollos. So I, I was appreciative of, of the opportunity to do that. And the opportunity to, again, be the head ball coach. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and it's one of those things, again, going back, to, to where you look at most coaches today, they want to be that corporate coach. Why aren't more coaches embracing the opportunity to be a ball coach, actually mm -hmm. get out there and really get involved? What, why do so many of today's coaches delegate that privilege? Well, I think a lot of um, uh, uh, them maybe weren't a coordinator per se or defensive or offensive coordinator. And, they, they, and there's two ways to do it. I mean, you can coach your fanny off the way uh, uh, Southern Cal coach uh, Riley uh, does it and uh, Heupel at Tennessee, and uh, you can be the offensive coordinator. Or you can hire everybody, which is the way a lot most coaches do nowadays. They hire everybody. Uh, but I know what you mean about coach speak. Uh, so many of these guys have the same coach speak every week and this, that, and the other. Uh, but actually coaching the players and watching the players be successful, I think that's the most rewarding part of coaching for me. Not, not talking to the media and trying to act so smart. You know, they get all these big words to uh, try to let the media know how smart they are, this, that, and the other. So uh, anyway, but yeah, I like Coach Elko. I really like the way he does it here. 
it's definitely a yeah. different age in college football today with conference mm -hmm. realignment, proliferation. Every time you look around, there's a new something here and there. But the name, image, and likeness, I have to mm -hmm. think that a guy who won the Heisman Trophy, who has done so much as an athlete along with being a great coach, that this would have been your playground back in the day in Gainesville mm -hmm. as an undergrad. I mean, that. Yeah. what do you think about name, image, and likeness and what that does not just for an opportunity for the guys to make money, but for the fabric of the locker room. Would that be tough to manage to make sure that your offensive tackle or your holder or your long snapper feel as good as your quarterback or your star defensive player? Oh, I think it can be difficult. Uh, two of the schools last year that were real big and giving money to their players, Texas A&M and Miami, uh, both went five and seven, I think. So it's not a given that the team that gets the players get the most money are going to be the winners. Uh, I think the coaches that really try to handle it and manage it the best way possible uh, certainly have the best opportunity to be successful. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you'd think maybe after you earn your way, you get a little extra money instead of getting it right up front. But uh, anyway, uh, that's not the way a lot of schools do it, and it 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 is what it is, and. Uh, it's still the schools that give out the most money, you would think, are going to have the best advantage. But obviously, Georgia handles it very well. I don't know exactly how they do it, uh, but they handle their NIL as well as anybody because their players don't leave and take off, and their team spirit seems to be pretty good. Very good. When, when you look back at recruiting, you know, that's now a 24-7, 365 mm -hmm. job for mm -hmm. these coaches here. But I was going back through the, the, the research, talking to a lot of people in Gainesville and Columbia and everywhere where you've been. And, and I think everybody agrees. And this is uniform through mm -hmm. players, coaches, administrators, people who have been with you. Your number one recruit of all time, you signed when you were still in college. And that's a star out of Fort Lauderdale, Jerry. I mean, oh, she really no means so much yeah. to you as, as a man, as a mm -hmm. coach, as a father, as a, as a servant leader. W describe Jerry mm -hmm. Spurrier, if you can, in, in a nutshell, yeah. because it's hard. It's hard because she's yeah. amazing. Well, I, I tell people when I speak, if there was a head coach wife Hall of Fame, she'd be the first one, I think, in there. Uh, what, what she did as far as her part of the head coach wife is uh, – she handled, uh, well, let's start with the games. Uh, she didn't sit up in the luxury suite. She sat out in the stands every college place we went with the coaches, assistant coaches' wives, and all the kids. They had their little section over there. And uh, after the games at home, you know, we'd all get together, little social uh, in the, the coaches' lo uh, offices up top and so forth. And, uh, and then Thursday night, uh, we'd have all the assistant coaches and staff and all the kids for Thursday night, a little get together uh, at home, home games and so forth. So we did that uh, all, all through, gosh, what, 20 something years uh, of college coaching and so forth. So uh, she, she certainly did more than her part. And then she liked to come out, watch practice, give the players a hug. Some of them need a hug, I guess, every now and then. But uh, yeah, she, and she loved all that. So she was a big, big help to our our teams definitely and I'm telling you watching it firsthand I still remember being at our road game in Atlanta and hanging out with her in the uh, lobby the embassy suites and she just knew so much mm -hmm. of what's going around but yeah. she was was she the head coach of the household 
Or were you the the head no, ball coach? No. Were you the head fam coach, or was she the head fam coach? Oh, she was the head coach uh, <laughs> in there. She did about everything around the house, which uh, I do still take the garbage out though. I appreciate so that. Uh, recycling and all that, yeah. So the different roles yeah. that you've had in your life, you've been a son, an athlete, a husband, we just talked about, an assistant coach, the head ball coach, mm -hmm. but you've also been a girl dad. I mean, you, you have uh, Lisa and Amy, your first two kids. So I got to ask you, what was it like being a girl dad and being a head football coach as well? Uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, we'd try to go see them uh, when we could. In a, uh, swimming, I guess, was probably their best events during the summer. In fact, when we were here at Duke, uh, Willowhaven, uh, they were on the swim team there. So I got to see them in the swim meets uh, several times. And, uh, and then after that, in fact, uh, gosh, about a month ago, I took my two daughters, Lisa and Amy, and uh, on a cruise to Alaska. We did that wow. week uh, cruise to Alaska. There was a really fun, really beautiful country up there. Uh, we'd never done that, so that was, that was neat. But uh, yeah, the girls, uh, they love sports also, and uh, uh, they've, uh, they, they've been, a, they still go to all the ball games. Uh, my daughter, uh, goes to all the Gator games. And my other daughter, uh, I've, I've got one granddaughter graduated at Florida this year, and another one is a freshman this year. And then my two grandsons went to Duke and have graduated. And Gavin's on the, uh, uh, he's on the staff as one of their analyst guys. So he loves football and he's already got a degree in economics and the Fuqua Business School and he wants to be a coach. Now how do you figure that? So anyway, yeah, but our girls, uh, yeah, they've been fine, and uh, we get to see Lisa a lot because she lives in Gainesville also. So you've been the girl dad, yeah. but then you have two sons after mm -hmm. that. Did you mm -hmm. think when you had the two girls, man, I've got to have a son? How important was that for you to have a, a son to carry yeah. on the tradition? Yeah, well, we, two and two would have been fine, and it worked out that way. So really, uh, yeah, blessed to have two of two. And Scotty is... Uh, He's coaching with Bobby Stoops in that XFL. He's the special team coordinator. In, Champions. Uh, yeah, they won the league championship last year. Uh, Steve Jr. is out at Tulsa University as offensive coordinator with Kevin Wilson. They, they won their first game last week. So they, uh, they're doing well, and uh, I'll get out there and get a chance to watch Tulsa play in about four weeks, I think. So looking forward to that. Now, Kevin Wilson's a ball coach. Mm -hmm. Now, because he's from my home area in North Carolina. That's right, he is. He's from Maiden. Mm -hmm. He's a Maiden Blue Devil where a longtime North Carolina high school coaching legend named Tom Brown got it done a long time. Though they were the Blue Devils, and my right. Newton-Conover team, we were the Red Devils. So we go at it. But we have a Newton-Conover Red Devils, pretty good defensive back here at Duke right now. But when you, when you look at your, your sons, they're both in the game. How much pressure was it on them, do you think, to be the son of a, a living legend? Because, I mean, you again, yeah. Heisman Trophy yeah. winner, national championship coach, player and coach in the College Football Hall of Fame. That, that's a big, big responsibility to live up to. Yeah, it might, it might be a little bit, I guess, but uh, uh, they're pretty much on their own. And uh, when I left uh, South Carolina uh, in 15, uh, Steve's been on his own and he's doing well and Scotty's on his own out there. So hopefully, uh, I still hope uh, Steve Jr. will get an opportunity to be a head coach someday. Uh, he's come close, had several interviews, uh, just it didn't quite work out, but uh, hopefully he's still got a lot of years left.
He absolutely does. Have a yeah. few more questions for you. Right. I appreciate your time. Right. I want to go back to uh, when you were an assistant coach here at Duke, mm -hmm. and everybody knows about your offensive mind. I mean, it's 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 a beautiful mind when it comes mm -hmm. to designing plays. But one of your first opportunities to name an offense, to run an offense, came here at Duke under mm -hmm. Red Wilson, and it was called. It was very innovative. Air ball. So th there was a lot of ground attack coming right there at that point. You knew you yeah. wanted to air it out. What were the principles of air ball and how did that become a foundation that you could build off of for the remainder of the bandit ball and mm -hmm. on throughout the rest of your career? Well, we, we ran it pretty good also now all those years uh, that I was here. Randy Cuthbert uh, in 89 mm -hmm. gained over 1,000 yards. I think Duke's only had three in the history of, of, of the school. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, we mixed it up, and I did like that word, air ball, because it you know, referred to basketball. Duke's a basketball school, heck, we all know that. Uh, but Coach Elko's turned them into a pretty good football school now also. Uh, but anyway, I thought you were going to get back, and, uh, and back in 82, uh, the opening game, we went to Knoxville and upset Tennessee. And I tell people all the time, they say, where's your favorite win over Tennessee? They think I'm going to say one of those Florida ones. And I said, it was when I was an assistant coach, and they had Reggie White and Willie Galt, and they were, they were loaded. Uh, and they weren't, weren't quite ready for the Dukies to come in there. <clears throat> and uh, we ended up winning 25-24, and that was, that was just a thrill for, for all of us to beat Tennessee in Knoxville. As a youngster growing up, I'd go to maybe one game a year. Somebody would give my dad some tickets, and we'd get to see the volunteers play. But anyway, that was, that was one of my favorite games at Duke also, and I was an assistant coach then. So you mentioned that you did grow up from time to time going to <laughs> Nalen Stadium and, and playing uh, or watching the, the Vols play. Why did a, a kid from Science Hill not want to be a volunteer? What made you go to Gainesville and become a Gator? Well, the Tennessee offense was still in the old single-wing days where it's like a tailback uh, is the guy that runs the ball. He's like a quarterback, but he runs all the time. So it wasn't best for what I did. And uh, the opportunity after I visited Florida uh, just seemed like the, the best place, best opportunity to play. And, uh, and also, the, you know, the weather down there is pretty good. And, uh, people, somebody said people are trying to save their money up north to move to Florida. And now I think they're settling in the Carolinas and Georgia and South Carolina also. Uh, but anyway, Florida it has been a very good place to live, especially Gainesville. We're sort of uh, in the north central part of the state. That hurricane was supposed to hit us last week, but it veered on north. So we were very blessed it, it missed us. Uh, but anyway, uh, it just seemed the opportunity was best to go there. And the food is great in Gainesville, too. And the best place to go and eat right now in Gainesville is your place. Talk to us about Spurrier's and especially the Visor's uh, deck. I, I've got to get down there. The, the partnership yeah. that you have with our mutual friend, Freddie Weeby has been really great. And your name, yeah. I mean, really mm -hmm. has made that the go-to place to be in Gainesville. Yeah, I ch uh, checked in uh, the airport uh, flying up here uh, to Raleigh-Durham. And the guy in Gainesville, the guy looked at me and he says, Spurrier, he said, are you any kin to that guy that's got the restaurant? I said, yeah, he's a relative of mine. <laughs> and that, that's all he knew me as the guy associated with the restaurant. So we've been open two years. Uh, we've, we've done well, very well. And uh, the guy that put the deal together, really smart guy, and he's there all the time. 
<laughs> I mean, this guy, he loves working, he loves being successful, and he's got several businesses, you know, and uh, Freddie Weeby's his name, and uh, we got 46 people, employees, that have been with us two years. So we got continuity, and uh, we got uh, uh, all of, we call it a museum, uh, memorabilia, Heisman trophies, rings, championship balls. The uh, AAF championship trophy? Yeah, it's in there. Oh, yeah, it's in <laughs> And your ring, too. Yeah, like yeah, you have to ring. It's all in there. Duke ACC champ of 89, game balls in there, and a lot of Florida stuff and so forth. So it's, uh, it's a museum, and uh, actually my daughter Amy, uh, about oh six seven years ago, said, "Dad, you need a restaurant to put all this stuff. What are you going to do with it? You can't just store it at home." So we found some place to put most of it. I still got <laughs> a bunch of extra stuff, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's it's done well, and we we hope to keep doing well. Just like a team, you got to keep pushing though, and keep trying to improve and things like that as you go.